Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. How are you today? Doing all right? 11 o'clock. We power through the Saturday night and the 9 a.m. to get to you. How fun is this? Hey, I'm excited for the season that we're running into as a church. We're taking a break from our Roman series today, and we're going to focus in a lot on this concept of relationship as we get ready to launch our life group season here as a church. So life groups are what we call our small groups, and it's a powerful way that we do life together to grow and chase after Jesus. Every healthy church that I've ever been a part of in my life has found some way to take the crowd that gathers on the Sunday and create community together throughout the week. And our our model for that is small groups. Because I don't know if you knew this or not, you didn't come to church today. You are the church who came to a building today, right? That's like, we are the church. And what Jesus calls us into is relationship and community with one another. And so here's what's cool. For those of you stepping into, whether it's 33 or you're doing one-on-one mentoring and flourish or you're in a life group this coming session, when you gather together in those places, you're the church together in that space. And there's something powerful and beautiful about that. And as we follow Jesus together, we help each other chase him. I don't know about you. I need that in my life. I need people that come around and say like, Joel, what are you doing? And remind me of who he is so I chase after what matters most. And so as we jump in right now, I just want to stop and and invite Jesus to come. Because if we don't hear from him, we're just wasting our time. We want to hear from him because he's the one who gives us the words of life. And so Jesus, we come in this moment and we just want to stop and acknowledge first and foremost, you are Lord and you are Savior. And because of you, our stories are changed forever. And so as we come into this place today, would we have ears to hear the things that you want to say to us? And as you stir and speak, if there's challenge, if there's things that, like, that we need to adjust because of what you're doing in this place, would we have the courage to trust you with that? That the things you call us to are always, ever, only for our good. And will we take those steps knowing that on the other side of obedience is life, the life you promised us. You said you came to give us life to the full, so don't let us miss it today. In your name, amen, amen. Well, I'm excited what we're talking about today, and, and there's just this, this thought that I want to throw out there that I honestly don't think I need to convince you of. I think we kind of know it intuitively, and it's this. It's good to share life with others. Now, we may like be like, well, what others are you talking about? Like, I mean, we, we may want to qualify that a lot, but I think like in general, I think that's just true, and, and I think one of the ways I could just demonstrate that we know this is intuitively true is you look at how obsessed we are with social media as a culture. Right now, love it, hate it, want it, don't want it. Social media wouldn't be so popular if there wasn't this underlying premise of a desire to feel connected to other people. So much so that we post stuff onto the World Wide Web and we like, somebody interact with me. Like, like so is anyone like, every, is it, am I the only one who engages? Okay, yeah, right. So it's a fascinating, so like even me, I'm a deeply introverted personality, but I still dabble in social media because there's some sense like I want to feel connected and I want to feel affirmed and acknowledged by the world around me. And so like, like I've posted things in my time on social media. And so for like when Christy and I, our family went to Canada, we would post a lot of our story and our adventure because we wanted to share it with those of you that were part of our family back here in California. And so I remember one winter, Christy and I decided to do a running program through winter. And so I remember we posted this. We got the picture. Like, so we posted this picture to just kind of share this with everyone. This was like a beautiful day in Canada in January. It's like only minus 20 or so. 
It was just like, hey, and we were just like, hey, we, we, we're alive. And like, you don't know what cold is. We've discovered it. And we just want to share a, a glimpse of it, right? Like, there's just this desire to connect with you. But even like there's times like I'll just experience things and sometimes I'm like, I just want to share this with someone. So a couple of years ago, I got to experience this moment. Next slide, next slide. Boom. I had the whole theater to myself. And here's the beautiful thing. Like those of you that are introverts, it takes a little while for us to get comfortable in our own skin. But the minute that happens, you realize something beautiful about life. You never get bored. You never need to worry about what other people are like. I'm just going to go and do things because it's cool. So I've done this so many times in my life. I go to see a movie all by myself and it's great. But you know what always ruins this moment? When people come in and sit next to you. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, bro, we got the whole theater, like spread out. Like, like, like at least three seats. Like, but I mean, maybe they want to feel connected and I'm like, I appreciate that, but I'm not your guy in this movie. <laughs> But you know what's funny is like I had, but I still felt this desire to want to share this. So I, so I posted, hey, check it out. But like sometimes though, I think we want to feel connected because we're looking for help with making decisions in life. And so have you ever just kind of threw that out there to the world? Hey, what's the right decision in this moment? So I remember like in the thick of COVID and we're, we're going over to some friend's house and we're trying to figure out what's the right gift to bring as guests to this house. And so I threw this picture up <laughs> and just asking for help. Like, what do we bring? Which is the more valuable gifts? <laughs> We brought the wine because we were counting squares. And so we're like, this is, we need to keep this one for ourselves, right? But like in all of this, I think like the reason why we do this is there's just this desire to feel connected because innately we understand that it's good to be in relationship with other people, to not be doing life all by ourselves. And yet I think as incredible as relationships can be, I think there are some things that we actually wrestle with when it comes to relationship, which is why we don't always step fully into them. I think there are things that we wrestle with, and, and I don't mean like, like things like the risk of rejection or being let down or getting hurt by other people, though absolutely real. And I think we could all like tell the stories of the wounds in our life because the relationship's gone wrong. But what I'm talking about when I'm talking about wrestling with relationship, it's, it's wrestling with relationship because of the implications that relationship often have on us. So I just wanna walk through a few things that I think are not exhaustive, but I think are maybe fairly common. Like, so you can let me know if you've ever felt this or wrestled with this, but here's the first idea. The first one is this, is that I think sometimes we wrestle with relationship because of this. In relationship, we are revealed. Like, have you ever noticed that it's kind of an interesting thing is you get to know other people or you get to know someone they tend to get to know you too. And it's just like, there's always like, oh, it's a little bit of a dance. And like, like I realize this, this is a challenge. Like I'm revealed in relationship and that often makes me nervous because I don't know if there's things that I completely want everyone to know about me, my idiosyncrasies and my weirdness and my struggles, right? Like, because I don't know about you, but I look really good from a distance. I look best in the dark, right? Like I'm a 10 when you turn the lights off. But that gets you close and there's just like, ooh, I don't, I don't know if I want you to know this about me or I don't even want to know if there's things about me that will be revealed because of this. And so we wrestle with that. And I think there's this tension that we all face in life. And I think the tension is that like deep down we have this desire to be known, but we also wrestle with that because we have this desire to want to hide ourselves. And it's like, thank you, first parents in the garden story for messing it up for all of us. Now there's nakedness and shame, and that's why we all want to hide. 
And I think what, like, so this wrestling with Rishab, I think sometimes it's just really easy to kind of go through life kind of like a Heisman Trophy in our relationships. Like, you know what the Heisman Trophy is? It's like the award given to the best college football player and the trophy, it's somebody, there's like a guy doing this. I think that's how we do relationships sometimes. Look, I'm, I'm really cool, but don't get too close. And that's how we do life with people. And I think we wrestle with that. Here's another reason why I think we wrestle with relationship. In relationship, we are challenged. So confession, I like being right and I like getting my way. Is it just me? (laughs) You know what's really annoying? Other people don't seem to care as much about that for me as I do. Like when you step into a relationship, you ever notice that like other people don't seem to be as concerned about what you like and about you getting your way. It seems as if they like to be right and they want to get their way. And there's like this challenge in that. Like, like being in a relationship with other people means being challenged in what we want or even how we think about things. The nerve. <laughs> and so that challenge in that is that like, I think that's why sometimes it's actually easier. I just don't want to be bothered. I'd rather just kind of like keep things shallow so not go into deeper waters with people. And I think a lot of times what that means is like we settle for what I would just call BK relationships. Burger King relationships, right? Like I want to have it my way. (laughs) And if I don't get to have it my way, I'm going to go someplace else. And we become relational consumers instead of relational investors. And there's a challenge in that. And yet the, the tragic irony as we wrestle with this is that uh, this is what I've discovered. The more I demand my own way, the more isolated I find myself. But we wrestle in that. Here's another reason why I think we can wrestle with relationship. Because in relationship, we are inconvenienced. Like to share life with other people requires giving up things. Like I got to give up my time. I got to give up my energy, my preferences like we just talked about. Like, and if you're in relationship with any other human being, you realize that, that, that there, there's an inconvenience to that. So I have teenage daughters right now, and we re, we're resetting the rhythm of life as school year has started. And so, like, we've had to negotiate the terms of when we leave to get to school in time. So, like, I drive them to school, and then I'll get to, the, to come back here to work and stuff like that. And so, like, I had this plan of what time we would leave, and because for me, I didn't want to get stuck in the parking lot traffic. Because I don't know if they realize this, but when I just drop, hey, go have fun in school, and then I'm stuck in the parking lot. And I'm like, oh, so like, but we had to negotiate the terms of when we left. So we leave a little bit later, so they have time. Apparently, they take longer to get ready than me. I don't know. Um, but the other week, we were driving to school, and my, my, my youngest was sitting in the front, and she asked the question. The question was basically this. Uh, Dad, is it hard having kids? <laughs> and I kind of have this commitment to speak honestly with my girls. And so I was like... Yeah. Like, you guys suck the life out of mom and me. <laughs> like, it's not always convenient being a parent, right? I mean, and I love you, but, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to speak truth. <laughs> but, I mean, that's like the reality of, really, like, like, just, you know, that's true just until, even with friends, even good friends. Like, because when you have good friends, even if you have affinity and common interests, you don't always get to do what you want in the friend group. So you go and do things, and it's like, I would rather have done this, and they decided you're going to do something else. So, like, like again, I'm a, I'm a girl dad, and Christy's a woman, so I live in a female-dominated house. So when all of my guy friends were going to see Oppenheimer, Barbie. we went and watched Barbie. <laughs> you know, I was okay with that. I'm enough. I can handle it, right? But, like, 
But like, I don't always get to get to do what I want. That's just the nature, even with friends. And let me tell you, as we're walking into the season, life groups are gonna be inconvenient for you to step into community with people because it's a 10-week commitment to walk with other people. That means that whatever day or evening that you're committing to it, you have to not do other things. You're gonna give up your sports or your shows or whatever to make that commitment. And it's not simply that you're committing to the 10 weeks, you're committing to come prepared So whether that's the life group study or you're reading a book, that you're going to take time outside of that to come prepared so you have something to bring to the conversation and bring to the table. And then when you show up, you have to choose to engage. And it's like, I don't know if I even like these people. I just met them. (laughs) But the reality is it's going to be inconvenient, which is why I think sometimes it's just a whole lot easier. I just don't want to be bothered with it. Like, have you noticed that church is a lot simpler if all you do is show up and sit down? But to actually enter into relationship with other people will be inconvenient. And I think that these are some of the reasons why we balk at the idea of relationship. I don't think it's exhaustive, but I think this is why oftentimes we don't go deeper in the journey with others because the implications it can have for us. And yet, we're not meant to live life in isolation. We're not meant to settle for shallow connections. Like we were made for something deeper and more than that. I want, to, I want us to look at something that Jesus says in John 13 about this idea that has significant implications for our lives if we're gonna hear what he says here and take him seriously as his followers. And John 13 is this beautiful moment that John captures in the life of Jesus as one of his followers. And this is the night that Jesus is about to be betrayed and arrested. So this is the, the, they're having the last supper moment with each other and Jesus is doing all sorts of things and teachings. And, and in John 13, verse 34, he says this to his followers. And so this would be things that would apply to any of us today that would say we follow him. And so he says this, Jesus says this, a new command I give you. Now, can we just stop right there? I don't like people commanding me. Like, that, like when someone's like, I'm going to command you. I'm like, uh, who are you? What are you? Like, what are you doing? And like, so I'm wrestling already when Jesus says these words. And you know, sometimes it's actually helpful to understand the original language that the, like the New Testament was written in, in classical Greek. So if you can understand the original language, it helps us kind of nuance the understanding. So when you go to the original Greek, do you know what this word means? Command. <laughs> Which means that If we're going to take Jesus seriously, we have to pay attention here because what Jesus is saying, hey, this is not an optional feature of the journey. Like you don't don't get to choose if you want to do this or not. If you're going to follow me, here's my command. And so a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, would you agree that has significant relational implications for us? Because I don't know how I would be obedient to that command if I'm not walking in relationship with other people. And what's amazing is that Jesus doesn't just throw out a hard command. He actually models for us the beauty of this. And he's just about to go to the cross. Hey, Jesus, how much do you love me? This much. Watch what I'm about to do for you. But even prior to this moment, if you go earlier in John 13, they'd they'd shown up in this moment to celebrate the Jewish Passover together. 
And so they show up in this upper room scenario and they're having this meal. And what's interesting is that like, like first century, like, like culture and hospitality, when you show up to a friend's house or a restaurant or something, like somebody would wash your feet. Because back in the day, we're like, we're all wearing Birkenstocks and our feet just stink, right? And so that would just be kind of, and so the way that would often work in that culture is that like, like the lowest person in the household, or if you had servants or slaves, they would be the one who would wash your feet. And then Jesus does something amazing that we see in the middle of this meal. He gets up, strips down to just his like cloth, loincloth or whatever, and then goes around and begins to wash each of his disciples' feet. And then as he finishes this, look at what he says in verse 12 of chapter 13. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so here's then Jesus then follows it up. Hey, just to be clear now, I've shown you what this looks like. I'm about to show you what this looks like on the cross. Here's my command. Love each other. The way I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to do life and love one another. And so Jesus is saying this, I think, because he's calling us into something deeper than we we think we often understand. Something that has immense benefit for us if we take him seriously and trust him to walk in this. And yeah, I, I don't know about you, but so oftentimes on the journey as I, I, I'm trying to figure out what following Jesus looks like, it's not always easy. There's things I wrestle with. There's things that I don't always like that I want to take up with management, but he's Jesus, so he is management. So I'm like, what do we do? And yet oftentimes this is what I want. Jesus, I want the benefit, but I don't want to have to buy in. Like, I, I, I want the benefit of everything that you're offering me, but I really don't want to buy into the life you've called me into. Can I please just have the payoff without having to participate? And it doesn't work. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work. Because you don't get the benefit unless you've bought into the life he's called you to. Because it's that life that produces the thing. There is no benefit without experiencing what he's calling us to. And so Jesus calls us into relationship with one another. Love one another as I have loved you, he says. And, and I think we can say, well, why? And, and, and from what we just read, there's like two reasons that jump out. One is he says there's a blessing. You'll be blessed if you do this. You'll experience what I want to do in your life and your story if you do it. But more than that, there will be a witness flowing from your life to the world outside. That as the world sees us loving each other the way Jesus has loved us, we're going to show the world something beautiful that doesn't exist in the world. I mean, think about our culture today. Our culture is fierce and brutal. You are canceled the minute you don't walk in party line. Imagine a community that says, you screwed up. I forgive you. I love you. Let's keep chasing Jesus. There's something beautiful that can be shown to the world around us. But I think there's something even deeper. Like what happens to us when we begin to do what Jesus calls us to, when we begin to do life together. And so I think there's this beautiful call to relationship that we see here. And so there's one idea I wanna spend some time chasing with you because I don't think it's always intuitively clear to us until we begin to see it and then it becomes so incredibly obvious. And so here it is, the call to relationship. Here's what happens to us. Relationships are the proving ground of our faith.
See, it's in the context of relationship, of doing life together, that our faith is tested and our faith grows. And so let me, let me just ask you a question. Like, why do you go to church? And maybe some of you are like, I don't know. I was going to breakfast with a friend and we wound up here. I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> and I would just say, like, let me clue you in. Your friend is colluding with Jesus on your behalf. They just haven't told you yet. <laughs> but I hope that you are open to the fact that you're not here by accident and that there's this person Jesus has life for you. And so I just invite you to lean in and listen and see what could happen. But for those of us that would say this is part of our life and our routine, like why do you go to church? Like does anyone come here consistently? Do you go to church so you can get good at going to church? Like I've been coming to Rocky Peak for a, t- a long time now. It's been a year plus since we come back, but I was here before. Like I, I don't come here like so that I can get, like I know what time to leave to avoid whatever Sunday morning traffic there might be. I know where to park. I know the good parking spot. I know how to get to the quickest donuts. And then I know where to sit to have the best experience. I am good at this. Like, it's okay if you have a routine. But I mean, is that, I, like, I think sometimes the reason we go to church is the way some people go to the gym. Like, so have you ever noticed that there are some people that go to the gym, it's kind of for the sake of going to the gym. Like, these are the people that you see, like, working out in front of the mirror, and they're just like, oh, look at my gains, bro. Like, look at me. Look how cool I am. Or they're trying to impress that other, like, like their gym crush or whatever it is, right? Like, like but I, don't, I think the reason to go to the gym is to get healthy so you can live life better outside of the gym. What if that's the purpose of church? As we do it here showing up, is so that we can be better at living life outside of the building, let me, let me just propose that I think there's kind of a couple of reasons why we gather, like some categories of why we would gather here consistently in this large group context that gives life to our journey in following Jesus. Here's a couple of things that I think we come here for. Inspiration and information. And here's what I mean by that. We come here for inspiration so that we can be reminded, encouraged, refilled, energized about our hope in Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but it doesn't take me very long to get into the week. Like by usually by Tuesday, I can lose sight of that hope. The world, the challenges, the things around me. It's almost as if like, like if my body is, is able to hold hope, I've got holes and hope leaks. <laughs> and I need to come back again and again to this place to be reminded of the hope I have and who Jesus is and what he's done for me. That's why we sing the songs we do. We don't do it because we're trying to impress you. We do it because we're trying to remind ourselves of who he is. And we declare that in this place. Jesus, it's because of you. My sin was deep. Your grace was deeper. I have a life in you. I need to be reminded of that because when I get out in the world, I can forget that and I need to know that I belong to you now. And because of you, I have life. Please don't let me lose sight of that. And so we come consistently for that inspiration. But it's not just about hype. We also come for the information, the truth that will set us free, which is why we look into the pages of this book, because in this, God has revealed to us who he is and with the life he's called us into. And so we come to gain knowledge and insight about our faith and about how we can live our lives beyond the walls. And so look, if we're here and consistently we're experiencing this, we're experiencing information, inspiration and gaining information, what then should this lead to? I would say it should lead to transformation, right? If, it's, if, if, this is, if we're experiencing it well, 
And here's, here's a simple question to ask yourself. Does your life on Monday look different because of your time here on Sunday? And if you can say, yes, that's great. That means like something's, something's working right in this. But I would still push us into that thought. Yet, yeah, how do I know? How do I know that what's happening in my spiritual life as a result of this inspiration and information is actually producing transformation that I'm actually growing? Because here's like what we've been promised. Like Jesus talks about this in John 14, that as we follow him, he said, I'd give you the spirit of God. The spirit of God will come to guide us into all truth. And Paul writes about what the spirit does in our lives and our story in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's like, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, and we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory to become more like Jesus. So the spirit's at work in us, transforming us to become more like Jesus. And then the fruit of the spirit, Paul talks about this in Galatians 5, so the fruit of the spirit is then produced in our life, and that looks like things like love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, those sorts of things. And yet, how do you know you're growing in things like patience, in things like love, in things like humility? And I would say, I don't think you can measure your growth in isolation because we were made to do life in context with each other. Listen, we're the lab where we discover the things we've been learning. Here's what I mean. You don't have to buy what I'm selling. I just want to make sure you understand it. (laughs) But I like to think I'm an incredibly patient person. But then I realize whether I am or not when I encounter you. Or when you encounter that difficult person in your life. It's easy to be conceptually patient. But suddenly I encounter that really challenging, difficult person. And then suddenly I realize, ooh, maybe I'm not. And then Jesus is like, it's time to go to school. Here's the classroom. Here's a chance for you to, are you going to lean into me and let me grow patience? Because here's the chance to do it. I like to think I'm such a loving person until people show up. Oh, wait, to love means to actually have another person in context where I'm like trying to grow in this. I think I'm such a humble dude until I suddenly collide with you and I have to realize maybe I have to put your desires above my own. What does that look like? Like, so this is why it's so important that we say you cannot measure your growth in isolation because we were made to do life in context with each other. I mean, let me, let me like just say this a little bit stronger. You cannot be faithful in following Jesus if you're not walking in intentional relationships with others. And if you don't like that, I'm with you. I'm an introvert. Like, this is how I would like it to work based on just how I'm wired. I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to step into life with you. Can I have my ticket to heaven? And then I'm just going to hang out over here by myself until it's time to go home. That's how I would like it to work. But let me tell you, that wouldn't actually be healthy. Because if I did that, I'm like, Jesus, thank you for the free ride. I'm going to hang out in the cave. And then when my time comes, just call me home. Let me tell you, when the time comes and you find Joel hanging out in his cave for however many years that is, you're going to find a shriveled me, a prune, Because I've not grown into the person I've been created to be. I need to be in context with others so that that would happen. And even though we could balk at this, I think sometimes we buy into this idea like, oh, it's just me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. Let me tell you, that doesn't come from Jesus. He never said that. He calls us into community with one another. And I think sometimes we buy into that because we've just bought some bad theology. Or some of us, we've been hurt by church. So we want to pull away from church and just walk with Jesus. Let me tell you, the, the, the way that you deal with bad theology and the way that you deal with hurt in church 
isn't by getting rid of theology or getting rid of church. The way you deal with bad theology is by finding better and good theology. And the way you deal with church hurt is to call it by name and then find healthier church that helps you find healing in the journey. That's how we walk this out. And it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable, but that's what we're called to do with one another. Because in the New Testament, there are like over 50 relational commands and callings. These things called one anothering. Like they're on your message. I just put a few for you to look at on your own time. Just like, I, I would just encourage you to read these on your own time and then ask yourself a question. How could I do this if I'm not in a relationship with other people? How could I be faithful to what I'm called to? Right, because we are the context in which we help each other grow because we're meant to be catalysts for each other. I want to, I want to look at one of these one another's. Hebrews 10, it's there in your message notes. Hebrews 10, 23. I just want you to catch what's being taught here. And so the, the, the writer begins and says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. Okay, who's he talking about? Who's our hope? Jesus, right? Let, let, let's hold on to this hope that we have in Jesus because Jesus is faithful to us. And if it was just me and Jesus, he would have stopped there. But so then what do we do with that? So he says, so, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so here's the flow. As we hold on to the hope we profess, what are we called to do? Meet together. Meet together. Because in doing so, what happens is that we will challenge and encourage one another on the journey. We will challenge you. We will spur one another on in, toward love and good deeds. Have you ever needed that in your journey or your story? Like, have you ever needed that friend to come alongside of you and they cared enough about you, they kicked you in the butt? No one's had their butt kicked by a friend. Come on. Yeah, I've needed that. My, like, my friends are just coming like, Joel, what are you thinking or what are you doing? And it's not because they don't love me. It's because they do love me and they call me to something better. They call me back to the hope that I have. Have you ever just needed that friend to come alongside of you because it's a hard day, a hard life, life, the bottom has fallen out and you need someone who will just come and encourage you in the journey. That friend that just comes, I'm just gonna sit with you in the mess and I'm gonna stay with you and then we're gonna together take a step beyond this place because Jesus has something better for you. This doesn't define your future. Have you ever needed that? This is what we're called to do for one another. Our relationships with each other are the proving ground of our faith. It's where our faith is tested. It's where our faith grows. Because there's something powerful that we experience as we begin to do life together. There's something powerful about relationship. And so let's talk about what is so powerful about our relationships, why this actually works. And so I wanna chase a few things with you here. So the power of relationship, here's the first one. Here's why relationships are so powerful. It's in relationships that we are revealed. Hold on. Didn't we just talk about this a little while ago? Are you like, Joel, are you confused? It's the third time you've given this talk. Like, are, have, you, have your notes gotten scrambled? No, I'm not. Here's the paradox of relationship. Oftentimes, it's the very things that we wrestle with are the very things we need, which is why they're so powerful in our story. Okay, so spoiler alert, you have the rest of the blanks. You know where we're going. <laughs> but let me talk about this. Like, like this idea of like being revealed in a relationship as challenging and as scary as it is. Uh, let, let me just ask you this kind of broad question. So my friends who are counselors and therapists, I'm pretty sure I know how they'd answer this, but I just want to see how you would answer this. 
Do you think, which is healthier for us as we go through life? Do you think it's better to be able to express the things that you've lived and experienced with other people so that you can find growth in that? Or do you think it's better to suppress it all and shove it down? Stupid question, right? But you know how I tend to practically live out the answer to that question? Shove it down. That's just kind of how we tend to do it. I I, I remember... um, just being struck by this, uh, a few weeks ago, my oldest daughter and I, we were just like flipping through what shows are there to watch. Did anyone else like run out of things to watch because of COVID? Like I'm amazed, like I'm like, there's nothing left to watch. We've watched everything, right? Not everything, but you know what I mean? Like, so we're just kind of flipping through and then this, this show pops in that I'm like, oh, they haven't seen this one. She's old enough to kind of watch it with me. It was so like cool when I was a teenager in the eighties, this amazing movie came out called Red Dawn. You remember this one? I can't endorse it, but I am going to talk about it. Um, And I'm not talking about the remake with Thor. That was a horrible remake. I'm talking about the original in 1980s with Patrick Swayze. It's actually the prequel to Dirty Dancing, if you see the character connections. And so, like, here's the thing. For those of us that lived through the 80s, this was the Cold War, right? So this is the premise of the film. And so, like, Russia was always coming. We're living in this fear. And so in the story, they do come, and they take over middle America, And so there's a group of teenagers that are able to get out and they become this rebel militia fighting back and they were called Wolverines, yeah. And so we're watching this movie together and there's this scene, this very tragic scene that takes place and they just see some of their parents executed in a firing squad. And so they're back at their base camp in the woods and they're trying to deal with it. And the older brother, Patrick Swayze's character, he grabs his younger brother and the others and he's like, don't you cry. You push it down. You push it down. Let it turn. Let it turn. And it's like an intense scene. And my older daughter, Indy, she just kind of goes, that's not very healthy. (laughs) I was like, you are right. The premise of the movie, like don't ruin the movie for me. But yeah, you're right. Like, because it's like, it's, it's in a wartime scenario. You don't do healthy things in wartime. But that's what a broken world tells us to do. Because we are in a broken world that is in a war. It's a spiritual war, and there's an enemy at work trying to tear us down. And the strategies of wartime that the enemy would tell us to do is push it down. Don't bring that into the light. Because if we push it down, that's how the enemy can take ownership of our story. And what we're called to do is to bring it into the light, to be revealed the things that are challenging here. We'll never find freedom and healing if we conceal the brokenness in our stories. So Paul writes these words in Galatians 6, 1 through 2. It's like heavy words, scary words, but if we can grab hold of them, there's power and freedom in these words. And so he says this, he goes, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, And I remember when I was younger and I used to read those words, I thought what Paul was talking about was this, busted, gotcha. Like you're you're constantly like somehow like the church Gestapo are going around and like, ha, them and them and them. And that's not not really what he's talking about. What what Paul means, like if you're caught in a sin, meaning like, like we all wrestle with issues and challenges in our life, but there's a point for some of us in certain of our challenges that we stop wrestling and we're overtaken by it. We're caught in it. It now owns us. And we're bound up in the shame and the, 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 the feelings of what's going on in our story. And so he's like, hey, listen, if that happens, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Right? It's never about pointing the finger. It's about coming alongside and say, how can I help? 
How can I help you find freedom? Because there's times in my life where I will need the strength of others to come into my places of weakness. And I will need to bring my strength into the places of weakness of other people. And so he goes on, he says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? What's his command? Love one another. And so something powerful happens when we begin to walk in this. Like sin loses its power when we begin to call it by name. Whether that's the sin that we're caught up in because of the things that have been done to us in our story, the hurts and the traumas and the things that people have done to us. When I can be in a community of people that can help me understand that God's love is greater than the hurt, God's love is greater than the strength, and we're here and we're for you, let's walk into the freedom he's come to give you. There's something powerful when we can call sin by name, whether it's the sin we've done, the harm we've caused, and we realize that my identity isn't owned by this because I have forgiveness in my story. We need each other and that sin loses its power in our lives when we call it by name and walk with others to remind us of our new name now. You are forgiven, you are chosen, you are accepted, you are child of God, you have a new identity, and sin can't have a hold on you any longer. Walk in the freedom of being revealed as you walk with the children of light. That's something beautiful that we can do for each other. You cannot experience the healing that comes from being revealed if you're not in context with others. But I will tell you this, sidebar, this is not without risk. Because there will be times where people will disappoint us, people will hurt us, people will fail us. You know why that happens? Because they're a work in progress too. And so often when we encounter those moments, our tendency then is just to pull back from anything instead of saying, how do I find something better or healthy than this program? So if somebody has hurt you, failed you, wronged you, and they're a work in progress, but they're not actually participating in their own work in progress, it's okay to say, I'm gonna step away from you. And I'm going to choose to step towards healthier people who can help me. Because even in my own story, when I've experienced that, when I've been hurt and wronged, and there's no sense of anyone on the other side of the fence trying to work on it, there's still things about me that can be revealed in that moment. Because suddenly, God can show up and say, Joel, this is an opportunity now to decide, are you going to be a person who continues walking in bitterness? Or will you be a person who chooses to offer forgiveness as you let me work in your story? Because that's the path to freedom. So even when it doesn't go well, there's still an opportunity to be revealed. But when we find healthy community, it works super better. And so that's the power of relationship. We're revealed. Here's the next one, the power of relationship, which is, you don't need me to tell you, right? You already have it? Yeah, we're challenged. Listen, we need to be challenged because it stirs us out of our complacency and it protects us from bad ideas in life. I love what Paul writes about this here in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is this beautiful chapter where Paul's kind of like laying it. Here's how Jesus has like designed his church to work well in, in, in all things. And so he just starts by saying like, hey, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a calling on your life. And it's to figure out what that looks like and how do I live it out. And then he talks about how we're all given gifts that are meant to be used to build up the church. And then from the called and the gifted, Jesus calls some of us to be leaders as gifts given to the church. And we don't always get it right. Like sometimes you're like, can I have a gift receipt on this leader, please? (laughs) But we're still called to like try and figure it out as we do life well with one another. And then as we begin to walk in what Jesus is doing in our story, something beautiful happens when we do it better. Look what he says there here in verse 14. He goes, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. 
Have you just had friends in your life that you were running the same race and somehow they just got sidelined by some weird thought or weird belief or weird practice and, and now they're like talking about Jesus and you're like, I don't, this isn't the Jesus I see in the Bible. Like what happened? Most probably what happened is that they stepped out of a community that was willing to hold each other to the truth of what God has shared. And now they're just kind of making up their own thing about God. That's dangerous. That's why we need each other because instead, look what he goes on, so that we're not tossed back and forth and blown wave here or there. Instead, speaking the what? The truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And see, I think it's all too easy to settle for a lesser life when we start chasing after lesser things in life, which is why I need people to come around and to challenge me to live the life I was called to. And when I kind of reflect on that, like how easy it is sometimes to settle for a lesser life, I think there's, there's kind of two seasons just in general, two seasons where it's easy to settle for less. Seasons of comfort and seasons of fear. And the interesting thing is that we make the same mistake in both seasons. We begin to place our hope in false gods. And so here's what happens oftentimes in a season of comfort. Like, like you're just, you have affluence or like the sun is shining, the birds are singing, it's going your way. And, and, and you almost want to help continue to protect that season. So you begin to like, okay, I got to like, like pursue the things. Like I'm looking forward to my retirement. I want to get the picket fence. Like I want to pursue all the things that, that make me happy in the context of what I've been told the American dream is or whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God has given you. But we oftentimes make that the goal and say, and say oh God, no, you've actually blessed me. How do I leverage this for you? instead of just making it all about me. And there's times where we need to come into each other's lives and just say, this is amazing what God has done for you. How are you using it for his glory? Something that will just remind us to ask bigger questions, to leverage the season we're in, instead of making our hope in these false gods of comfort. But then there's also seasons of fear. Did you know there's an election coming up next year? Were you aware of this? Buckle up. It's going to get intense. It's been crazy since we moved back from Canada. I, I, I forgot how divisive we had become. And then coming back from Canada, I'm like, what happened? Like, who blew it up? We were gone for a few years. Like, and here's what happens in a season of fear. We put our hope in the false gods of our culture or our politics. Can I just say something to us, church? Our hope is not in our political affiliation. Our hope is in our kingdom affiliation because we have a king who is king of kings and lord of lords. His name is above all else. And when you step into this, have your political leanings. Cool. But your hope isn't in the Oval Office and whoever's in or not in that. Instead, we're going to walk together as a church and say, we're not going to let this divide us because we have a hope in someone greater. And as you're in group and you find out that there's someone in your group who's one of them, Maybe just lean in and say, help me understand how you see it from your side. And maybe they can help you see some of the flaws on your side. And then maybe together you could say, and let's commit that we're brothers and sisters because we belong to a greater kingdom. And come what may in this country, our hope isn't based on what happens in this country. Can we commit to that as a church? No, I mean, seriously, can we please? 
Because can we walk into something better in this coming season and not let a season of fear cause us to slip into false gods and put our hope in the God, the one who is our greatness? See, this is why we need each other, right? To challenge each other, to remind us of something better. Like, guys, eyes on the prize. His name is Jesus. And let's not lose sight of that as we do that. And catch this, this isn't simply for your benefit. You have a part to play in it. Because what does Paul say there at the end of verse 16? As the body grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. That means you have something to bring to the table and the relationships around you to help in this area. So here's the last one, the reason why relationships can be so powerful. And what is it? We are what? Inconvenienced. Let me say that is good news. It's good news to be inconvenienced. Let me get, did you know that relationships will cost you? They'll cost you. So when I was telling my daughters in that car ride, you guys suck the life out of us. It's not convenient having you in our life, but you are worth it. Like I would pay this price 10 times over to get to be your dad. See, when you step into good relationship, it will cost you, it will be inconvenient, but it's always worth it because the payoff far outweighs the cost. And here's something beautiful about being inconvenienced. One of the greatest freedoms you will ever experience is when you learn to get over yourself. That's freedom. I love what Paul says about this in Philippians chapter two. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others sometimes when it's convenient and when it doesn't cost you too much. (laughs) I so wish he said that because I could probably do that. No, he says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then I encourage you to keep reading what he writes on your own. But he goes on and he quotes what is maybe one of the early Christian creeds or even one of their early worship songs in the first century. And it's this beautiful thing where he's talking about what Jesus has done for us, who was in, in the image of God. He had the glory of God. He did not hold on to his privileged status, but he humbled himself, taking on the likeness of our flesh. He became a servant and became obedient to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. That's our model. Do you want to know what the path to greatness is? going low in every situation, in every relationship. If you want to see God lift you up to greatness, go low and watch what he wants to do in your story because that's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled for us. And so under this point, I want, to, I, want to, I want to poke at some things with you. Can I have permission? I'm going to do it whether you say yes or no, but I'm just I'm putting it out there, right? I want to poke at what I'm calling some it's about me myths. These aren't on your notes. This is free for showing up. Um, well, that kind of three, it's about me myths that I just want to, I want to talk about under this idea of relationships are inconvenient and that's a good thing. Okay, so here's the first, it's about me myth. Why we won't oftentimes engage in a relationship. Um, I need to work on me. Yes, you do. Because <laughs> you are a piece of work. <laughs> Same as me. And then there's a healthy expression to that because there are times like, especially for those of us maybe wrestle with healthy boundaries or we're always serving to please people and we're compromising our own health for the sake of making other people happy. There may be a time where I need to step back in that and let Jesus do a work in my life so that I serve people from a posture of identity in him. But listen, you're you're never gonna actually work on yourself in isolation. Like go to the self-help store at the bookstore right now. You'll see this is like where our culture's at. 
I got to work on me. It's all about me. Forget my family. Forget the people in my life. I'm going to work on me. And like, that's not what we're called to. Like, there are things about you that you can only learn by being in context with other people. Things that you need to grow in that will happen because of that. Like, I, I've, I've wrestled with this in my own life, in my own story. Like, so often I feel, I feel insecure and afraid to step into things that God has called me to in my story. I'm like, I'm like are you sure? Because I'm just me. You really want to be like lead in your church? Like, because I, I got a bigger list of people that would probably be like I would have picked, but why me? And so often I've needed the people in my life to challenge me in that, to speak into that. Like just this week, I had a phone call with a friend and, and what she was sharing was like, hey, Joel, like the season that you're in, like what God's doing, like don't, don't slip back to who you were 15 years ago where you were leading out of fear. Like, like stay strong and keep going. And I just needed that voice in my life. And so then the response to me in that thing is, I, I, I don't want to go into my cave and try and figure out. I have to actually step into a relationship where I get the chance to grow in strength as I do life with other people. But like we need those voices in our life that you can work on yourself in context because that's probably the best way to do it. But here's another it's about me myth. I'm just really busy right now. Like I don't have time to like, be a part of church or relationships and church and stuff like that. And I, I mean, I would just think like, like, I hope you're busy. Like we should all be busy doing something with life, right? Like if you're not busy, please like come talk to us. We'll, we'll give you something. But, but the question isn't, am I busy? The question I would have is busy doing what? Like what could be more important than joining Jesus in his mission? Like the same mission that, brought you into life. It doesn't mean you all have to come work at the church. It just means that you leverage the life you have to build his kingdom, to do what he's called you to do. Like, do you remember the prayer Jesus gave us? Like, like his disciples came to him and they're like, hey Jesus, like you're our rabbi and all the other cool kids, their rabbis are giving them prayers. So like, could you give us a prayer? And that's my paraphrase of what happened in that moment. But so Jesus gives them a prayer. We call it the Lord's prayer. It's actually our prayer. Like, do you know this one? Did any of you ever remember it? How many of you knew it in the King James? Like you're like old school. Yeah, right? Like, but like, like he taught us to pray and this is what he teaches us to do, right? Our father in heaven. That was revolutionary. Like God's not just distant, deistic view. God is father. He's like intimately acquainted with us. Like I, I call you, like we, we call him Abba. We call him dad. Our father in heaven, holy is your name. Okay, but you're also Holy. Like you're altogether separate from us and yet somehow you call us out of our brokenness to be holy. So God, you are both intimate and epic, which is why you can help me because you connect me where I'm at, but you call me into something greater than where I'm at. And then the very next thing he teaches us, remember? So our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Would you bless my life so my kingdom would come and my will would be done? <laughs> no, right? I mean, that's how we pray sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> but that's not what, no, like, May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And see, God's kingdom comes through your life when God's will is done in your life. And as we begin to get that prayer oriented, we begin to leverage our life for what matters most. Listen, don't get so busy building a life that you wind up wasting the life you've been given. Parents, like, I want, like, hear me on this. And I'm, I'm speaking as a parent. Like, this is why it's so important that you model for your kids the values of belonging to a church. 
Right, because I think sometimes the mistakes that we make as, as parents is we get involved in activities and events and things, and we're like, oh, and if we have time, we'll go to church. If we have time, we'll be a part of church. And we make these other things the priority. And then our kids grow up to a point where it's up to them to decide if they're going to own their faith or not. And they're like, well, it wasn't that important to mom and dad. I don't really care anymore. And it's like, we got to show them something better. Because let me tell you, like, the statistics are pretty scary when you look at the generations that are in teenage into college and how quickly they fall away from the church. And so much of that is cultural challenges and things like that. But like we can at least show them something important. So they may still walk away. They may have their rumspring uh, like, like moments, but they may come to a point where they hit bottom and they're like, but this was so important with mom or dad that I see the value I'm returning, I'm coming home. But we've got to model that for them. And then I just want to pause right here and just say, you, you over here, I'm so grateful for you. Our youth in our church. Like, like you are not the church someday. You are the church today. And you are rising up and taking your place. And it's a privilege for us to be church with you. And so whatever we've done to pass the baton, pick it up and run with it because Jesus is doing something for your generation through you today. And so can we be a church that says, hey, we're not so busy to serve you so you can be the church you're called to be. Oh, friends, be busy doing the right thing. And here's the last it's about me myth. Oh, but I'm doing just fine. Like, I hear what you're saying, and that's great for them, but I'm doing just fine. Right now, you mean. But what happens when you're not? I don't know about you, but the last four years weren't on my five-year plan. Like, I did not have pandemic. Let's figure this out on my plan. <laughs> there are things that rocked my life. And, and let me tell you, if you're doing fine today and you don't think you don't need a church, I promise you there's going to come a moment where you're not doing fine. And it's too late in that moment to expect the church to be there for you when you haven't been a part of the church in that time. And I don't say that to be mean. I just say that, hey, don't, don't fool yourself. But let me also, like, poke at this one. Hey, you're doing fine. Great. Maybe you're doing fine for a reason. And that reason isn't you. Like, what if you're doing fine? Like, God is blessing you in the season so that you can be a blessing to other people. Like, it's not about you. And there's freedom in that. So leverage your fine for the sake of other people. Here's what was so fun. This last Friday night, we gathered with all of our life group leaders here on the campus. It's kind of like a rally night of worship and prayer and teaching to just prepare ourselves as we go into this life group season. 227 men and women came out to lead us in this season as a church, as our life group leaders, and they are leveraging their fine. I mean, none of us are fine, but you know what I mean, right? Like, they're leveraging their fine for you because they believe that you're worth it. And can we just thank them for stepping up to lead us in this coming season? to take the blessing they have and to say, I'm, I'm gonna give what I got and week after week, I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna point you to Jesus and see what he wants to do in our story. And let me tell you, that's not just the totality of the people that are serving in this season. We've got men showing up on Tuesday nights to help facilitate and lead our 33 ministry that's launching. We've got women who are part of our Flourish mentoring who are leveraging their lives for the sake of other women in our church. We got men and women serving in our youth and in our kids. Our church is blessed by those who take their blessing and serve. And what a gift it is to be a part of that. I'm so grateful to be home with you in this time. 
And so this is what we're called to do. Listen, you are never more free. You're never more alive than when you're leveraging your life for something greater. And when that something is a someone and his name is Jesus, then you find greatness by following him in the path he calls you to. And Jesus says this, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And see, he calls us to to this because this is what we were made for. We were made to do life with one another. We were made to experience this. And love is not lived out in isolation. Love is lived in context with one another. And so as we think on those words, as I have loved you, How have you been loved? How have you been loved? It's interesting in my story, like like I I forget that at times. Isn't that ridiculous? Jesus, you went to the cross for me. You gave up your life for me. And then I'm just running through life and I'm like, do you even love me? He's like, bro, the cross. And I love that Jesus, I think, understood that, what happened to us, which is why he gave us a gift. We call it communion. This beautiful gift he gives us, and and we're told that he said that as often as we do this thing called communion, we do it to remember him. You know what the hope is in remembering him? Oh, it's not about me. It's about you and what you've done for me. And so on that night, when he's having that final meal with his friends, he takes some of the elements from the table. He takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. I will be broken so that you can be made whole. And this is my blood and it's going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. I will pay the price of your sin and mess and failure so you can be brought back into new life in me. And then I'm going to defeat death so you have an eternal life hope in who I am. And so we come to the tables. We come to this moment of communion to remember him. And I just want to encourage you as you come tonight or come today to the tables. To like, sometimes we come to the tables and, and coming to communion and remembering him. It's about repentance. Sometimes it's about just returning. I need to come back to you, Jesus. Well, what if today as well as we do communion, getting ready to go into life season, it's also about remembering how much we've been loved. And just, so this is now the model of how you call me to love others sacrificially for their sake. And so I come to the table to be reminded of how loved I am so that I can love in this coming season. So as we go in this time, I just wanna encourage you to come to the tables. And if you're here and you're not, you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus, I would just encourage you to sit back in this moment and take it in. Maybe just see what he wants to stir in your heart as you, as you reflect on the things that we're talking about. But if you follow him, then come to the tables because this is for you to be reminded of what he's done for you. And so Jesus, we come into this moment so grateful, so hopeful because of you and what you've done in our stories. Lord, you said that you would build your church That's not this building, that's us. And so we want to take you up on that and ask that you would build us into more of who you've created us to be. That you would build us to be your church together in this coming season. That as we go through this fall session of life groups and walking in context with one another, that we would not be the same church when we hit the end of this year than where we are today because you're going to grow us up. You're going to strengthen us. You're going to teach us to walk together. And together, we're going to experience all that you have for us. And so as we come to the tables, we want to pause and say, we remember you. Thank you for loving us. Now teach us to love like this for your name's sake. Amen, amen.